We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, the Nets are back, and they're back with another win over the Boston Celtics, 121-109. How are we feeling? Kyrie Andrew Irving. Kyrie was in his bag tonight. I think he's averaging something like 39 points per game against his former team. I think it was 40 tonight, 30 in the 38 in the first matchup. So Kyrie was cooking. Nets got the W. But as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, should we start with the first quarter rust? Yeah. What was what was up with that, Nick? It seemed to me that the All Star break. I mean, both teams were coming off an All Star break. Both teams had two All Stars playing in that game as well. Doc Rivers trying to do some sneaky things, getting our boys in those extended minutes. But uh, at the same time, do you think that it, it was on both teams? Do you think it was more on the net side? What was going wrong? Was it um, just missing shots? Was it bad shots? Was it bad defense? Combination of all the factors. What are your thoughts on that first quarter? Yeah, I think it was Russ. I think um, more players were impacted, you know, than others. You know what I mean? I felt like James Harden was rusty in this one, especially to start. Just some turnovers, going to some double teams, passes just kind of slightly off, and obviously missed a couple shots he normally makes. So I think, you know, maybe he had a little bit too much fun in the All-Star break. I'm not really sure. Kyrie obviously got his thing going on a little bit later in the game, but still not a super hot star for him. And I think Jalen Brown on the other side had a pretty rough shooting night, 5 of 23, 3 of 12 from 3 for Jalen Brown so I guess both teams were probably really impacted by it yeah I mean I don't think this is going to be a game we're looking back on with really sort of great fondness funnily enough you know just to provide a little bit of an, uh, an anecdote there was a, one of the students for, that, that I teach came up as like oh Mr. Jack I need some basketball highlights I'm like all right we got the three-point contest from Joe Harris. We got Kyrie Irving shots. It was just a bit, a bit of fun. But we got plenty of those highlights from Kyrie Irving tonight, Nick. And you know he really got us going. You know, an absolutely incredible performance, as you alluded to. Forty points, eight boards, three dimes, steal, block, five eight from three, five five from the line, fifteen and twenty-three from the field, all in thirty-four minutes. There is rank for me. Where does Kyrie Irving rank for you, Nick, as watchability? You know, there's Steph Curry going off. There's Damian Lillard going off. We're Nets fans, so we're probably going to have a little bit of subjective bias, but we also love this game, and we love all the players in it. Where does Kyrie Irving and his wizardry and mastery of this sport rank for you as a viewing experience? I mean, when he's on, there's not really many players you'd rather watch. You know what I mean? Like, when he's in locked in mode like he was in the third quarter of this game it's just like you don't think he's gonna miss even when his shots are like a little bit off in terms of the mechanics it's like oh this is kind of still gonna go down or it's a weird angle or something and it's just like boom so I think watchability is probably 10 when he's locked in just in general I would say probably be nine out of ten right like he's just that good all the time even his bad nights he'll squeeze in a couple highlights 
Yeah, no doubt. He's one of the more... What it's Again, we are gifted to be able to watch him on a night-by-night basis. And it seems to me he always brings that little bit extra against his opposing teams. And with good measure, you know, he was yep. having a bit of fun in the post-game, sort of saying like, oh, yeah, I'm always shit-talking to, to my teammates and such. But we also saw the rounds where we saw the Marcus Smart interview from the jump a couple of years ago. And we saw Rachel Nichols basically trying to cut him off because he was saying too many nice things about <laughs> um, one of our, our, our idols. So, yeah, I, look... Even recently this, at All-Star Weekend, he was hanging out with Jason Tatum's son, chasing him around the court. Such wholesome content, man. My heart couldn't handle that. My ovaries were just about to explode <laughs> watching that shit. It was absolutely gorgeous. And then we also saw, like, you know, him and James Harden fighting for the inbounds and Stephen Curry saying, hey, man, you already started this out. I thought you were the shooting guy. That was a good fun as well. I, I, the, the sound bites for me what make All-Star Weekend yep. and while Kyrie Irving didn't give us many of them because he was just doing his own thing and he didn't, you can tell he didn't want to be there but he was providing the, the best experience for the viewers and also honouring the, the late great Kobe Bryant but tonight it was just it was the Kyrie Irving show Nick and you know James Harden didn't have his best game but you have the, the luxury of having the best backcourt in the league, one of the best shooting guards in the league and it's just they feed off each other and it's if one of them is having a bad game, the other one definitely isn't. I, I don't think it's happened in the 25 games or so that we've seen these two together. Both of them have a poor game. Yeah, and like you said, Jack, that's really the luxury of having multiple stars. You know what I mean? And obviously the Nets have three. Kevin Durant is obviously out right now, but when he's Fourth in. One Landry Shamet as well, Nick. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to have him in it. I mean, and then they have like these star role players that really can pop off too, like a Landry Shamet, like a Joe Harris, like getting hot from three. We'll touch on those guys later. But again, to the superstar stuff, it's just like they're probably not both going to be off. You know what I mean? And they're, or they're going to, they're having a, one's having a bad game. The other one's at least going to have a pretty good game. And typically that's enough when you're a top 15 player, top 10 player, top five player. And you know, James Harden, Kevin Durant's case. So it's just incredible to kind of watch. And I, you could tell James Harden knew he was a little off and kind of let Kyrie shoulder the load. And like you said, going against his former team, it's like, you, whenever he has like Jason Tatum one on one, he's always yeah. trying to do something special. Like with that layup that he finished on him in transition, the angle really didn't make any sense, and the way he finished it didn't make any sense either. But it was boom, and he was just in that point where you felt like he was making every single shot. Jason Tatum like tackled him. It was like yeah. Aussie rules football. I'm like, how is there not a foul in that? And I mean, look on the other end, Jalen Brown. Two refs tonight. The... They're they're missing the third one. Yeah, I mean, it was and, and it stupid. Felt that way. <laughs> it was stupid. I know you pointed it out on Twitter, and there were some decisions that left you scratching your head a little bit, but also on the other end of the floor to provide a, a semblance of objective bias. Kyrie Irving definitely fouled Jalen Brown on that three. Yep. He, he hit his hand arm super-duper hard, but it was going both ways. I guess it's sort of like a quote-unquote makeup call. But, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a, you know, you copy and paste, Nick, just the, the admiration that we sh- Joe for Kyrie Irving and the he, he's just like you know I'm gonna get this team on my back he has a he has a real sense for the occasion whether it's yeah. national TV former teams whatever it is you know Kyrie Irving is gonna step up if you know the the lights are bright and you know we heard MVP chance as well I've heard people sort of make an argument that Kyrie Irving is as big a candidate as James Harden for the MVP they've both been incredible and you could certainly uh, I don't think, I think it's almost like the Golden State Warriors of old. They take votes away from each other when you have, you know, Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry, two of the best players ever, and you've got Kyrie Irving and James Harden, two of the best modern players ever. They're just going to take votes from each yep. other. And ultimately, I don't think any either of them care about the individual awards. I mean, some of the media with the way that um, they were treating Kyrie Irving at the start of the season, they're probably not going to give him votes for anything anyway. But he has been absolutely goddamn incredible. Um, the 50-40-90 season might be back upon us. He is yeah. um, a goddamn masterpiece in every sense of the word, Nick. Kyrie Irving, can't say enough. Yeah, I would say this, Jack. I think like for since we watch every game, we recap every game. I think Kyrie has like higher peaks, but he has lower lows than James Harden. So like the stats look kind of similar, but I think James Harden is kind of more of the consistent force. And obviously, some of his impact doesn't show up in the stat sheet. But just to shout out Kyrie too, I felt like he was making a lot of high effort plays in this game. You know, getting back in transition, trying to get some of those loose balls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Eight boards, Nick. You know, and two offensive boards. I think. I I wasn't able to watch closely enough. I was watching on the you know an iPhone XS or whatever the, the heck the model is. But did you see? Did he still have the the bandage on his finger? 
I did not see it. I wasn't definitely looking closely, and if he did have it, it wasn't as big as it was. Yeah, I think it certainly wasn't as noticeable. I was in some group chats and trying to sort of spot it myself as I was watching the game, but it certainly didn't look like it. And we did say heading into the All-Star break that he was making more of those effort plays to make up for, you know, a bit of inefficiency yep. from the field. And efficient for Kyrie Irving is like 45% compared to 60% and having an incredible season in true shooting. We know that across the board for, for this roster. So it seems to me that the shot looked cleaner yep. and just more like Kai, if, yep. if, if that makes any sense. It just looked more comfortable, too, on the release. Like, it just, like, he looked more confident taking the shot and everything was kind of going down. And also give him credit, too, is he got to his spots. You know what I mean? Right under the free throw line. Like, if he's in that area, like, he's just going to make it. You know, right above that's, the restricted area. Like, it's that's just money. Move on Jalen Brown. Mm. Jalen Brown is one of the best defensive players in the league. Best one-on-one -on -one defensive players in the league, especially on guards. You know, he's yep. strong. He's better against the sort of one-twos to, a, to a, a certain extent, the threes, the, the guys that aren't the LeBron Jameses of the world. But the way that Kyrie Irving is just like, you know what? I've got this spot. I'm going to be able to create space no matter what. You know, he's a dancer. Like, yeah. he literally is. He just spins. I, I think that the fluidity in his, his, in his kinetic motion, not to get all analytical about it, but what I mean by that is his footwork and his body control is unparalleled there are a few players in the history of this game that have the body control every single space on the floor we call him a three level scorer in so many different ways nick but it's the ability to create shots at three levels like you mentioned that layup on jason tatum just was just stupid his three ball you know whether he's taking it as a pull-up whether he's taking it as a sidestep or whether he's just around that mid-range where he's just like you know what i'm gonna get some space here i'm gonna read it off the glass here uh, it's just He's a he's an absolute just physician. He just tears the game apart. Yeah, I mean, the connection between just, like, the mental and the body, you know what I mean? It's so in sync. And then also, like you said, the body control and the footwork. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of the players can get the movements down, but their body doesn't necessarily go in sync in the way his does. Just everything looks so comfortable all the time. So, like we've spoken a lot, this, <laughs> said a lot this season, like, it's just a joy to watch him play. Like, it's just constant highlights on a regular basis. And there's enough highlights in the second half or some guy's first half of the season. Definitely. And fingers and toes crossed that, that to Buzz listeners, you as well, Nick, might be lucky enough to, to get to a game sooner rather than later. Hopefully, you know, the prices remain at somewhat of a, an affordable yep. price for all the Nets fans out there. But, you know, seeing Kyrie Irving has been one of the joys of my life and I'd kill to see him again. And hopefully um, we get those vaccines rolling down here yep. in Australia soon and might be able to get on the flight and get to Barclays. It'll be the first thing that I'll be wanting to do. I uh, can't wait for it. But in saying that, Nick, there seemed to be, I guess, we always rave about the starters, but it seemed to me that the balance was off. And do you think that was the the clutter between DJ and Bruce Brown? Yeah, I do. I, I put out a tweet about that. I think Boston's more one of the more intelligent defenses you're going to face. You know, Brad Stevens willing to make that adjustment. And at times they just understood like, hey, we just rotated enough time. Like, we're going to force Bruce Brown into a tough shot. Bruce's, you know, floater wasn't necessarily on. They did a good, good job limiting DJ on uh, some of those oops, some of those rolls to the rim. Also, credit to just them having more size. You know what I mean? Like, a Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And then also playing too big. So, it just made it a little bit more difficult. And when James Harden being off and his three ball not there, I feel like Boston was able to capitalize on that. Yeah, look, I've got a lot of respect for Boston. I've said this, I think, on the, the last fan pod that we did, that I can't help. I, I hate the fan base, or I hate a lot of the fan base. You know, <laughs> everyone except for at Celtic Slav, basically. Um, but in, in saying that, the way that they play uh, and their individual talent that they have, you know, they're incredibly intelligent and savvy team, as you did allude to, Nick. You know, the ability to just close gaps and make the shots harder and, and just, just condense the floor because Bruce Brown works best when he's in space, whether it's alongside a Jeff Green, maybe to an extent Nicholas Claxton because he can play five out, even though he hasn't taken them yet. He has the ability to be like, I'll stand here. I'm comfortable. I'll take it if I need to. Whereas DJ has to be in the dunker spot. Bruce Brown yep. kind of has to be in that sort of same spot as well. It's It was just a, a little bit clunky at times. And I think that it worked best when you know we had Uncle Jeff back with who <laughs> we can't say enough good things about Jeff Green. We'll probably get to him in a little bit. But I think that that was 
you know, look, a worthwhile experiment to an extent because we also saw the Celtics themselves have Tice and Thompson. Tice can hit the three ball a little bit. Thompson, obviously, more likely to be that sort of DJ type, but has probably some, I guess, more comfortable and switchability um, that DJ does have. But, yeah, I think that they forced the Nets into changing uh, rather than sort of the Nets doing it the opposite way, um, which was good coaching by Brad Stevens and, and, and quality execution by their by their players. Yeah, and also I think, you know, that Joe Harris was a little off in the first half in terms of his three-point shots. That doesn't when help. When you have, I think as well, saying that, Nick, uh, sorry to interrupt, but when you have DJ and Bruce Brown out there, you replace that with Jeff Green. Immediately it's just like you're essentially five out. Uh, except yep. for Bruce Brown. And Bruce Brown has hit the three ball pretty damn well. I, I can't remember if, it's, if, if he's been like 40% plus uh, over a span of games because he just takes the right shots. Didn't take, uh, he only took the one tonight, which he did miss. And obviously, when James Harden isn't hitting his three ball either, it just felt to me, you know, well, the best three point shooting performance overall, but still went 45% from there because Kyrie Irving was just incredible. But it was basically just James Harden and, and Landry Shamet leading the team. But I just thought that. It's worth sort of testing these different things because, yep. you know, against the Bucks or against the Sixers or against the Lakers, you want to try size. You want to try physicality. And I don't think the Celtics are the right matchup for that, despite the fact that Tyson Thompson, you know, are those sort of guys on paper that look like they have the exercise. This might work uh, on, on in, in different occasions, but tonight it just didn't. And I don't think it hurt the Nets so much. I thought the Nets were able to adjust at points, be that from the team, be that from Steve Nash. James Harden is finding guys in, in open spaces. He still had eight dimes himself. I still thought the Nets did make some decent enough adjustments despite those limitations. Yeah, I think it was still good enough essentially to win the game, obviously. And this isn't even like your go-to starting lineup, like you said. You know, Kevin Durant is still out. You know, Kevin Durant is still out. Like, that's that's who he's going to swap in for. And no disrespect to Bruce Brown or DeAndre Jordan, you know, at best, these guys are starting-level players. You know what I mean? And KD's arguably, you know, the best player in the league, top three, top five, whatever you want to say. And he's going to help you on both ends of the floor. So, it's not really an issue you have to worry about too much. Obviously, you know, we expect Kevin to Kevin Durant to be back at some point here. And like you said, you know, you swap in Jeff Green, even for Bruce Brown, if you swapped in Jeff Green, it just gives you another three point shooter. So I think Steve Nash could have maybe adjusted a little bit more in game, but it's fine. I think he also just wanted to see this group kind of get through some of, you know, the speed bumps out there. But the second unit, I think one of the reasons they had success is they're just more talented than Boston's second unit. You know what I mean? And the fact that they can keep a star on the floor. It just allows them to kind of run over teams. Life is too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. But maybe you looked at some of the retailers and calculated the years of interest you'd pay on just one set and gave up. Trust me, go check out brooklinen.com. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't find them, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and taste. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, and even loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code BACKBOARD to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Plus, free shipping. That's brooklinen.com and enter promo code BACKBOARD to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. brooklinen.com and use promo code BACKBOARD at checkout. Look, Jeff Green plus 18, Nicholas Claxton plus 10, Tyler Johnson plus 6, Landry Shamit plus 21. It was the bench that got us this win tonight, yep. Nick, or at least gave us the the sort of pu- the the boost and and the yep. push and the juice, as you like to sort of say, uh, to sort of get us that momentum. And look, it was Jeff Green with his moments and his three ball, um, two or four from there had a couple of dimes as well. Nicholas Claxton just showing uh, incredible defensive effort. You know, he got a couple of points here or there. He's a really good rebounder as well. Got caught a couple of times with the the strength of Marcus Smart and some yep. other players, but those are things that he'll learn from. Uh, you put out a, a fantastic clip, and you know Matt Brooks of uh, of Nets Daily also has done a really good video on YouTube. And we know how just sound he is defensively, just in in his in his motion. Nick, we sort of you're talking about Kyrie Irving offensively, and it's just sort of just like pure and smooth. There's a similar you can make an argument that Nicholas Claxton has that element of smoothness and fluidity on the defensive end. 
Yeah, it's just natural. It's just very instinctual. You know what I mean? I think also someone commented on the clip that you mentioned that I posted that like he was ready for Jason Tatum's sidestep three. Actually, it was our guy Chandler from OTG. Um, he was ready for that. You know what I mean? As a young player, like typically your scouting report on some of these guys isn't there. It felt like Claxton was ready and knew what to kind of expect in that situation. Or maybe it's just a reaction speed. And we saw him get beat a couple times in this game, but the recovery speed is really there. And that's what's going to be important because guys are going to hit tough shots as long as you're putting up a contest and making them earn it that's all what it's all about and look there were times you have to give away the foul but yep. ultimately that's a good decision as well you're not letting the guy get the bucket give away a, a somewhat physical foul too so uh, i i almost like it that we are getting mistakes because that is what you truly learn from it can't be all 33 points in 31 minutes and 17 boards and just having perfect performances in the time that he's playing i like the way he's being used he's still a, a net positive his hair's looking great his style is awesome the smile is goddamn gorgeous we can't say enough good things about nicholas claxton and he's only going to grow the young alchemist is only going to keep getting wiser and wiser learning from these dudes and whether it's adding another big and such, and, you know, he's got Amari, he's got DJ um, to learn from the sort of verticality and the lob threats. He's got Blake Griffin now to, to sort of learn from too. Uh, I think Nicholas Claxton is only going to be a, a greater performer and only improve as the season does go on. You know, I want to see him... I want to see the 25-minute mark for him. Not at this stage. I think his conditioning is still being worked into. But around that sort of 60-game mark and where we sort of go, okay, let's see and try and solidify this rotation here because Claxton can give you that. You know, DeAndre had 27 minutes tonight. Um, Jeff Green had 25. And, and Nicholas Claxton had 18. All of them had their positives and their negatives. But ultimately, Nicholas Claxton is, I've said this a million times, similar to what Robert Williams gives to the Boston Celtics defensively, he is a floor raiser. And they are different players because Robert Williams is one of the best shot blockers in the league and I'm, I'm, and, and jump shooting shot blockers in the league. Similar to like a, a Zion Williamson in college. Similar to like a Mitchell Robinson uh, in the early points of the NBA. He was blocking James Harden on jumpers yeah. and stuff. Nicholas Claxton is a different athlete and a different defender, but it doesn't mean he's any less impactful because he doesn't get those counting stats. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that he's more impactful than Robert Williams already in terms of just the ability to switch. And I think Robert Williams is a really talented player. He just has some areas he needs to improve. But getting back to Clax, even the dunk he had in this game was impressive. Robert Williams, actually, funny enough, was the one trying to block it, hit him with a little pump on that and threw it down. Like, he's literally probably the only Nets player that can do that. You know what I mean? Maybe Kevin Durant can do that still, but Clax just has that athleticism and that pop. And like you said, it's going to be intriguing to see how much Steve Nash is going to use him moving forward to Blake Griffin coming in. It was nice to see him still get minutes tonight. And you know what I mean? With Jeff Green being back, going with that Jeff Green and Nick Clax in second unit, you know, uh, front court combo. Oh, it's it's a luxury. It was it's probably uh, the best version of our front court. To to yeah. be fair, they outplayed Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan quite convincingly. So yep. uh, it's a, it's a goddamn luxury to have those sort of guys. I mean, Bruce Brown is the the center guard, as I like to say. Um, but tonight it, it wasn't there for him. But that's fine because you know there are going to be ups and downs and there are going to be nights. And I think again, some of it was the coaching and the, the decisions with the lineups. But yeah, in saying that, with Claxton Nick. He's just continuing to grow and continuing to improve. And I think that... Do you think that the Nets are lucky that he was injured to start the season? or And do you think that he could be a Houston Rocket if we had have seen, you know, the, a healthy Claxton and a healthy Clax City uh, at the early points of the 2020-2021 season? Yeah, I mean, I think the Nets are lucky he, didn't, he wasn't in the bubble and he was still recovering from that shoulder injury because yeah, that would have been a... Yeah. a real opportunity for him to pop. I think he would have been like the talk of the bubble probably just because he would have came out of nowhere and probably put up some nice numbers. I'm not saying he's a perfect player or anything, but he just has that type of pop to him. So I think you're right, Jack. If he was playing, he, he would be in Houston right now. There's really no question about it. Or he'd be in Cleveland or Indiana or one of the other spots because he's just a talented player. And it's a real luxury to have a guy of this talent with the amount of first-round picks going out. You know what I mean? Given he's only, what is he, 20 years old or 21 years old? Like, there's there's a lot of talent there with Nick Claxton, and we're just touching the surface here. Yeah, look, there's we, we are now seeing also the national media attention for some of the guys that we yep. love, you know, beyond the Brooklyn buzz. 
be it Bruce Brown, you know, Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe falling in love with him. He's ours, guys. He's ours. He belongs <laughs> to us. He's a Brooklyn buzz We liked him before the season started. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, Nicholas Claxton the same. We're, we're hearing on, on Ringer podcast, you know, them dissecting every little frame of his game and, and what he's been doing this season. And, look, those guys are, are incredibly intelligent. What they analyzed was, was pretty damn good. I liked what they touched on, Nick. And I'm not sure if you heard the pod. But Claxton's size, in, increased size just coming into his second season, seems to be having an impact because, like you mentioned with that dunk, he was slight as hell last year, as any rookie is. You know, you look back to Jared Allen uh, in seasons past. But Claxton looks strong, even though he still is filling into himself and filling into his body. Yeah, I think one year with, you know, an NBA training staff, you know, a performance team, they're just going to get your body in a lot better shape. And I think just th- it's not always – Something you can see, obviously, you can sometimes see the physical gain, but a lot of the time that helps bigs is the core work and the leg work. You know what I mean? And for Jared Allen, it's not like the upper body got really big. I think he just got stronger in the core. He got stronger in his lower body, and that's what gives you the support. You know what I mean? Because you're trying to bounce with bodies down low, and he's never going to be a giant guy. Just he doesn't have the frame to be one, and I think that'll be fine because he also just has some of that, like, underrated skinny guy toughness like you just see it with basketball players sometimes like they just have that extra little like i'm gonna get this ball and clax has that and like you said he looks more comfortable and he looks more stable out there and like i said probably related to core and leg work yeah and that obviously helps him incredibly defensively as well nick yep. because you know he has such incredible lateral quickness and the ability to move on, on on a on a dime you know he can change direction so damn quickly and he has good recovery speed as well you know again i'm not saying that he was perfect tonight if anything after the last couple of games this was a poor performance from clax but we're judging him with incredibly high standards Still plus 10 on the night, still incredibly uh, impactful in, in whatever he does out there. And that's what you want from a bench player. If you're getting this out of a bench big, I think there are plenty of teams out there that would be loving to have a Nicholas Claxton off the bench right now because he is a first-round talent. You know, we got him with pick 31, which is essentially the f- a first-round pick. But like you mentioned and, and Dalton mentioned when we chatted to him, this guy is a lottery talent and, and the Nets are lucky to have him. Yeah, it's going to be incredible to see his growth throughout the rest of the season, how he fits in with Blake Griffin, obviously Kevin Durant coming back. I think the minutes are going to be tough. It'll be interesting to see what happens to DJ's minutes because I think at this point, Claxon provides you a lot of different elements. Obviously, there's some things that DJ does better. He's a veteran. He has that bigger body, that inside presence, and you know, a better, probably a better uh, shot blocker maybe at this point. But Clax does a lot of different things and provides versatility really on both ends because he's still very comfortable with the ball and driving to the lane, and DJ just doesn't have that. So it's going to be an interesting rotation uh, moving down. Yeah, look, you know, we talked about lack of depth, and now that the Nets are having these problems, and you know, we're, no, we're in the too much section. depth. <laughs> yeah, and then you're adding maybe an Andre Drummond as well. You know, we, we're hearing rumors around that it's the Lakers or the Nets. There's a part of me that just wants to get him, just so then the Lakers don't. I've said that before when it comes to sort of trades and buyouts, because Blake Griffin was also li- linked to the Lakers, and now. While obviously I don't think Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin are going to swing the title in the Nets' favor, it does also take the asset and the player away from the other team. And it means that their depth is shallower. And it just gives you options, like you alluded to, Nick. And um, it'll be fun to sort of see all of this sort of come together. And I mean, you know, you're adding your best player as well. It doesn't hurt too. But um, who else did you want to touch on with the bench, Nick? It, it seems to me, about to say, this is... It, it's taken us this long to get to Landry Shaman, and it's probably his best ever game as a Brooklyn net. Yeah, I mean, he was locked in tonight, Jack. He hit his first three threes, and it just felt like he was hitting every shot the rest of the night. He was only 6-9. I swear I only saw him miss one. I swear I only saw him miss one. He just was re- looking really confident out there. I thought defensively he was competing. So, you know, credit to Shamit, and maybe this is a start of a hot streak for him. You know, he started the season a little bit slow, and obviously, you know, shooters can be impacted by confidence more than other players. So this could be the right start for him, and maybe we're going to see a different Landry Shamit for the second half. Definitely. You know, I, I think his consistency and, and impact in terms of what he does um, is, is out there. You know, we're seeing it. You know, he's getting those good shots with, with James Harden in the second unit. He's just taking them. He's got the confidence. He's hitting the shots that matter. There was a point in the game where, you know, the, the Nets were ice cold and the leading scorer in the second quarter was Landry freaking yep. Shamit. Without him, you know, that second quarter where the Nets um, go 35 to 26 and get that nine-point advantage... A lot of that was Landry. 
Yeah, he's the only player that didn't start the game with rust. You know what I mean? Yep. And he was also, you know, pretty important in keeping the game close before the Nets turned it on. So Shamit was that spark that we really wanted him to be. We saw kind of flashes that at the end of the first half of the season. Like I said, maybe this is something new. And if they have another added element to their team, that could be somebody that could just like pop off and hit a couple threes off the bench. That's just scary, especially because James Harden wasn't even on tonight and feeling his game to the highest extent. We know how good he is in finding shooters. So if Shamit can get cooking and he's playing a lot of minutes with Harden in that second unit, it's going to be another problem. Look, last 10 games, he's shooting over, over th- nearly 39% from three, which is his, you know, around his career average yep. of 39.3. So he's back. You know, he needed to work his way into it. We were sort of talking about it that we had a semblance of confidence in it because, you know, this isn't an Alan Crabb sort of situation. I just, I, I, immediately upon his arrival, I'm like, yes, Landry Shaman, I think this this guy can give us something. The enthusiasm, the desire, the motivation, you know, he's chatting to people on Twitter here or there. I just, I always had faith in it, Nick. And, you know, I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but yeah, I'm, I'm loving seeing Sadiq Bey do his thing as well. But I think Landry Shamit could be a bigger swing factor because like you alluded to, when it comes to postseason performances and you need a hot quarter uh, and, and you get, you know, six of nine from three performance for Landry Shamit, that can win you a game against the Los Angeles Lakers, the Clippers, the Utah Jazz, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers. That level of shooting and that level of confidence and that flamethrower shot, that can win you a game, Nick. Yeah, and I think he's getting more comfortable defensively in the switching scheme and, you know, using some of those effort plays to kind of fight over, you know, different players or whatever it is. And then obviously he still has his issues occasionally defensively. But like you said, Jack, he he maybe he's not getting a lot of playoff minutes. Maybe he's in there for like six to eight minutes in a game, but he could literally knock down four threes. And like you said, that could be the factor that changes the game. And he just complements Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant so well. You know what I mean? It's like having just a lesser version of Joe Harris in terms of the spacing impact. Like he, he provides a lot, not to level Joe does, but it's just like, okay, we can still run similar stuff in our, on our offense because we always have one of these guys out there. I mean, you had more minutes than him tonight. You had more minutes than Joe Harris yeah. probably for the first time, you know, this season. Um, I, I could say that with confidence. And part of it was Joe's, you know, lack of impact on the scoreboard uh, early on. But it was also just because Landry Shamit was one of our best players tonight. You know, yep. I think outside of Kyrie Irving, obviously James Harden had a really nice performance himself. We've dived deep into that. I think Landry Shamit was the second most important performer in this game, Nick. Yeah, he really was. I think that's a fair, you know, fair assessment, Jack. Just because he hit those big threes, he kept the momentum going. And it just, like I said, defensively, I thought he really fought. And just other guys didn't have it. And he had it from the start in this one. Definitely, definitely. Let's get to Joe, Nick, because... Marcus Smart, does anyone have his address? If you do, hit me up in the DMs at the JMNJVT. The way he's jumping on my man. Now, there are only a few few people in this world. In fact, there's only one person in this world that's allowed to jump on Joe Harris like that. And I'll let you fill in the blanks, ladies and gentlemen, with what's there. <laughs> and people are scratching him. I mean, I, I, look, I'm not going to say anything about scratching and other things that might happen behind the scenes, but no one should be scratching Joe Harris unless it's me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he did look pretty beat up, Jack. And I mean, Marcus Smart, like, essentially just, like, climbed him like it was a TikTok video or something. (laughs) I really did not understand that. And he didn't even – there was no foul call. The ref was right there, obviously, the end of the game. But just talking Joe's overall game in this one, struggled a little bit to start. I think he actually maybe had a little all-star break rust, you know, missed a couple threes he typically knocks down. But, you know, typical Joe Harris on the other end, too. He just – finds a way, knocks down a couple threes, and next thing you know, three and nine, really not that bad. I thought defensively he fought in this game, did a pretty good job on uh, Jalen Brown, had a nice deal on Jason Tatum in the fourth quarter. So if this is a bad game for Joe, I'll live with it every day of the week. Yeah, he's had a steal and a block, and, and like you alluded to, Nick, I, I thought that he came up big in, in crucial sort of defensive plays. 12 points for him, 4 of 10 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. Uh, including, you know, the the old little buzzer beater there from from Joey Buzzer, Joey Glass, or whatever the heck we're calling him now. He's <laughs> got so much uh, goddamn nicknames. Um, it, it's it's lovely to see. But yeah, Joe is not going to have a bad game because we sort of thought it's just like, oh, Joe is cold, Joe is cold, Joe is cold, Joe is cold, and then the second half happens, and that's what good players do. Like you sort of when we talked about with Kyrie Irving here, it's the effort plays. It's the little things where you can still impact the game if your shot isn't falling. Three of nine from three for Joe Harris is an absolutely disgustingly bad night because he's the best goddamn shooter in the league. And this is going to make the percentages go down a little bit. 
but hopefully overall we know he will bounce back there but he just does everything else so well you know to uh, against Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who have immense athleticism in so many different spans like they are going to be the next Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Joe Harris who is just the dude who just does everything that we know he, he has to do gets his hands in the right spot, gets his stance right, shows strength, shows good core strength, shows good lower body and low center of gravity. Can't ask much more from Joe Harris, Nick, and um, I asked the world of him, and he gives me all that and more. Yeah, also he had a really nice uh, verticality play on Jalen Brown in this one. Just like Jalen went straight at his chest, Joe Joe was right there straight up. Jalen ended up missing the layup. So credit to Joe Harris, like you said, Jack, finding ways to impact the game even when the three-point ball is not falling at the same rate. Can I touch on that verticality thing, Nick? Because it's something I've realized in the, I guess, the inception and growth of this Brooklyn Nets team. It seemed to be that, you know, it was almost like the number one defensive thing that they were taught. You know, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, whoever else it is. Now, obviously, all the other guys in the roster have been to their other varying different situations. But Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, these guys that are still there from, you know, the, the old Brooklyn days, they have the the fundamentals so sound because they were just so well coached in so many different ways and joe obviously has alluded to that in terms of the individualized you know attention that he did get you know up to you know to today and um, i think that that's one thing that the, these nets players and, and i think joe harris jared allen did it so well nicholas claxton um, does it quite well also he did it quite well against san antonio um I, especially i did notice those verticality plays just something i wanted to touch on i think he deserves um, some love for like and, and really good for you for highlighting it yeah and i think you know probably credit to kenny atkinson right like that's probably who implemented to these Why guys. that man atlanta bring him back <laughs> bring him back to atlanta <laughs> I mean, like all the guys you mentioned, he coached hard. You know, he coached them at an early phase in their career, really probably hit home. And I think also like those early Nets teams had some foul trouble. So easy way for a coach, you know, keep those hands up. The refs can't call you for swiping if your hands are showcased. So credit to Kenny there. And like you said, it's a good quality to have. Definitely. Absolutely. Nick, is there anything else you wanted to touch on, I guess, within this game? Um in terms of, you know, any sort of X's and O's before, I guess, we, we touched a little bit on Blake and Kevin Durant's status. Um, I mean, we kind of touched on everybody. I guess I'll run through real quick. We mentioned Bruce Brown. Struggled a little bit with his uh, floater tonight. DJ kind of got exposed in some situations here. You know, Celtics, nice passing team, and obviously got some of the switches they wanted. Dropping maybe a little bit too much in certain situations, too. Tyler Johnson kind of did his normal thing. You know, nice to see Jeff Green back out there. A little bit hesitant on the three-point shot. Maybe something to do with the shoulder. He did airball his first attempt, finished to a four. Almost, you know, put a nasty poster down on Grant Williams in this one, too. But overall, I thought, you know, a lot of guys played solid. James Harden also had a rough game here. We kind of touched on that early on. One thing we'll touch on as well, because it was a stat that I sort of brought out uh, a day or two ago about the the Nets assists. You know, second in the league for assists, over 27. Have had uh, a couple of games, um, 35 plus as well. Tonight, only 22. Uh, sorry, only 21. So I think that that's where I, I, I know you put out or someone put out a clip where the ball was just moving and fizzing and, you know, breaking down the zone and breaking down the defense of the Boston Celtics. I don't think we saw that enough tonight. And I think that's why the Nets did struggle offensively. Yeah, and I think part of that's like what we mentioned earlier, Jack, with the Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan thing. Gets yeah. a little congested. Boston's a good defensive team. I thought they did well playing the passing lanes. I want to say the Nets had 11 first-half turnovers in this one, finished with 14, I believe. So the way they were able to clean that up in the second half was a big part in this one. Also, something else that stuck out in this one too, Jack, 11 offensive rebounds for both teams, but the Nets had 28 second-chance points. The Celtics only had 18. I think that that's what separates you from being like you know a really really good team that's on the come up can you do those little things that can take you from being good to great and the nets are doing those little things nick you know they're, they're being smart they're showing effort um, and be, it's sort of a, a tone setter it's, it's a culture setter in so many different ways it's the championship habits that kd spoke about uh, in yesteryear and yeah i think that all those things and you know james Harden had six first half turnovers only finished with seven you know that yep. from him is just like you know what i gotta clean this shit up you probably heard he probably was chatting to kd kd had the the paper out in front of him at one point during the game it's like Hmm, I don't really like some of these stats. And you can probably tell, you know, and, and, and it's always just awesome seeing KD. TLC looked kind of nice as well. Uh, and Blake Griffin. Um, sweater game was strong, Nick. I, I, for anyone who didn't see it, check out the Brooklyn Nets uh, Twitter and, and Facebook. The, the sweater game from Mr. Blake Griffin, 
I mean, I'm going to be wearing my jerseys probably on the next one and, and during the next games because, man, I, I, I just like the swag. I like the drip. It looks good. Yeah. They, on the Yes broadcast, they did some quick research. I believe the sweater costs 800 bucks if you want to grab one, Jax. Okay. So. Uh, um, yeah, maybe. Uh, well, well, I'll have a chat to Blue White. See, see what that pays <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, and just another, I guess one more note on the game the Nets defense actually wasn't too bad in this one three out of the four quarters held Boston under 30 points you know only in that third quarter they scored 31 first quarter 29 quarter 226 quarter 423 really locked it down in the fourth you know 33 to 23 that's what you like to see from great teams and look the Nets we've seen stats are plenty about it you can find any stat that just shows now that they are performing defensively when it does matter and you don't, you don't need stats to necessarily tell you that. You can watch the game. You can listen to what Nick just alluded to. And it, I think it also was, that's where I initially, and again, this was games and games and games ago. It was eons ago, but it also wasn't that long ago in, in the grand scheme of things. That The game, the second game of the season against the Boston Celtics was when we sort of saw the Brooklyn Nets turn up the defense a little bit and go, yep. you know what? We can kind of do this. We can do this when we need to. And I think that the Celtics, in that to that extent, don't have the offensive dynamism that the Nets do to be able to go, man, team's locking in here. We need to try and get some buckets. And Jason Tatum is a great shot creator. Jalen Brown wants to feel it tonight, as you alluded to. And outside of that, you know, Kemba, Kemba's, um, you know, Kemba's doing all right. But, you know, I'd rather have uh, the I other. I think K-O he had lines. three points in the last three quarters of this game. Uh, look, no, I'm, my slander will be. I'm, I, I prefer just loving my own team than throwing slander out there, though. Don't check my timeline. Um, <laughs> for that sen- say. For that sen- never slander from you, never. <laughs> no, actually, funnily enough, in general, Nick, we're seeing the Nets get a lot more hate in general. And part of it is a good thing because people hate, you know, dominance. People hate, you know, you know, dynasties, all this sort of thing. And the Nets are far from being that. It is good to kind of get it a little bit. But I'm almost... And I think John did a, a, a nice tweet from OTGBasketball.com sort of being like, you know what? I don't really care about the rest of the league. I, I want to see everyone do well, whether it's the Knicks, whether it's the Celtics or whatever, because good basketball, uh, it just makes it more fun when you beat the best version of something, the best version of the Knicks, the best version of the Celtics, the best version of the Lakers. Kyrie wanted it. He wanted Anthony Davis out there that night. He wants, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to be fit and healthy when it does matter. We want KD to come back and fit healthy because I think I'm more focused on and just more giddy about this Brooklyn Nets team. As I alluded to on the, the last fan pod, I'm enjoying this ride more so, not because of all the outside and external BS, I'm just loving this Brooklyn Nets team, Nick. And that's what my focus and my love truly is. The haters, they can do their own thing. I might uh, do a quote tweet here or there or reply here or there. Have some receipts every now and then. But for the most part, you look on my timeline, it's a lot of love. Yeah, no, no, you got some positive vibes, Jack. I'm not I'm not going to throw too much shade at you. No, uh, no, for real, though, I mean, there is plenty of hate on the Nets right now. And it's just fun to kind of enjoy the hate for the Nets and just kind of enjoy the ride, like you said. It's it's a pleasure watching this many talented players on a night to night basis. And we've kind of alluded to it before. Like there's a good chance. This is going to be the best roster in Nets history. You know, if not this season, probably the next season. So just enjoy it while you can. Cause you never know how long this is going to last and what the outcome is going to be. You got to enjoy the journey. I think that that's the important part. And, you know, I'm starting to sound a bit like Kyrie. Maybe I've been <laughs> uh, reading the alchemist too many, too many times, but yeah, you know, the, Every single game, you know, whether it's recapping it, whether it's just watching a highlight of Kyrie Irving, whether it's just looking at some of the, the reactions, the memes, the, the the screenshots, it's all just fun in Brooklyn right now. And I think that that joy is what's making it, – it's rubbing off on me. You can tell that this team is wanting to play with joy. They're trying to establish their identity because there's a lot of, like, more national, more, you know, intelligent media pundits that are like, this should be a villain team. Why aren't they a villain team? It's because they cultivate joy, Nick. They can't yeah. help it. Kyrie Irving does it. All these hugs. James Harden with these smiles. Claxton with the infectious energy. Bruce Brown is the most number one loved player in the league. You know, they should be the villain. They haven't done anything that, that's deserved to be the villain just yet. You've got to win to, to really earn that villain mentality, whether you're Golden State, Miami Heat, or whatever. But, you know, just the collective makeup, they should be. But they have just too many joyous elements to detract from that. Yeah, it's like they have a nice balance of players, too. You know what I mean? There's like not just the stars or the other good role players that people just love. Like you said, a Bruce Brown, a Joe Harris, a, even a young Nick Claxton. Like it just like there's a different element to this Nets team. And obviously we're going to be biased because we follow them so closely. But it is something, like you said, brought up by national media. 
it's something that we'll certainly be keeping an eye on because I think that the narrative for this team, it's interesting. It's just fascinating to look at it yep. from a fan perspective because we're so deep in it. You know, we're not lucky enough to, you know, be at the games and, you know, be at the, the post-media conferences and stuff, but we're pretty deep in it. We're watching all the games. We're looking at all the uh, all the comments and, uh, and such. But Nick, in saying that, I guess we should move to two of our other stars uh, in Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin. We'd heard from Steve Nash today say that Kevin is getting better all the time and has a scan next week. We will assess him then, but he hasn't played in a month, basically. So no matter what the scan says, he will have an appropriate ramp up and we put him in a position to finish the season strong. Worried at all about the fact that we still don't have necessarily a, 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 a firm timeline on KD's return? I'm not necessarily worried. Like, there's still a substantial amount of time for him to come back and then still get into a groove and get ready for the postseason. I think, you know, it gets more concerning is, like, you'd like to see him back sooner than later so you can build up that chemistry and things can be as smooth as possible going to the postseason. Like we mentioned, though, if there's one type of injury you really want to play it safe with, it's that hamstring. You know, it's those those tendons, those things that, you know, if they're damaged, it's really easy to damage them again. So I think the Nets are just being ultra conservative with this situation. And given what they have, and they're almost in the one seed right now, a half game back, and KD's only played 18 games, you know, why rush it? Until... There's more alarm uh, or it goes if, if, if he we don't get good news by the end of March, then I'll be concerned. Like, I feel like by the end of March, we should have a better idea of like, hey, this is going to be an idea of his return day or, hey, now he's getting that full ramp up back to basketball activities. If he's still out to that point, Jack, then you know what? Then I'm like, OK, this is maybe a tad worrisome. Yeah, I mean, you've clearly not been on Nets Facebook, Nick, because uh, when the Nets now have a big two, apparently, according to some people on those Facebook pages. I don't know why I'm on them. Um, but <laughs> sometimes it's a bit of a laugh. It's some balance, but, just to get yeah. you the, the weirdest end of the spectrum. <laughs> why not? Why not? Um, and just to finish off the comment that Steve Nash did provide, um, he said that I think when we got the second scan, we knew this was going to be longer. The first scan, there was bleeding and the imaging wasn't as clear. We realized with the second scan, this was the type of timeline we're looking at. And we'll see. That can change. We're expecting the potential for this to be a month. Most hamstring injuries, you know, they're quite common injuries, especially in the sport that I follow in the AFL. They generally are a month injury. And for a guy coming off an Achilles who's going to have, you know, some weaknesses around a lot of those muscles that you and tendons that you're alluding to there, Nick, it's always best to play it safe. And while I'm not necessarily worried about his chemistry, I'm worried about his more his conditioning and just, mm. you know, him getting the reps needed individually because... Like I've said on, on many occasions, one of KD's best attributes, and there are a lot of goddamn good attributes for one of the best players we've ever seen, is his ability to just fit in everywhere, defensively, offensively, wherever it is, Kevin Rand fills those gaps and makes them strengths. He makes the weaknesses strengths. He makes the strengths super strengths. So I'm more worried, not, not worried just yet, but I'm and my concerns lie more in to his individual conditioning and his individual reps because we always see when he comes back from a game he always starts a quarter a, a little bit rusty as the Nets did a little bit tonight and that's happened but then by the end of the game he's gone you know 50% from the field or whatever but I just want KD to get the requisite reps and that ultimately as long as he's fitting firing for the playoffs I, hopefully I, I wish I had a crystal ball to be, just be able to see that so I have that peace of mind and so so does, so does he as well as well as the team in general but I look, I'm, I'm fine with it right now as long as you know, the bleeding doesn't continue. And we're sort of seeing, I guess, a similar sort of cautious approach with Blake Griffin too. Yeah, no, 100%, Jack. And like you said, there's there's no need to rush. And obviously these type of injuries do last a long time because you want them to be 100% because you don't want him to re-injure it in, you know, the game seven of, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals or something like that. You want him to be 100%. So take the slow approach and long as he's feeling okay i will say seeing him on the bench he definitely looks like a little bit more annoyed that he's not playing like you know yeah. what i mean like he's definitely like a little salty almost like oh man i want to be out there so i'm sure he's not too happy about it but it is what it is and again just to add in the the further comments from steve nash he's been on the court he's been doing a lot of work and just making sure that he has the appropriate healing response in the window that we've had here he had the two weeks in the scan two weeks in the scan and it's progressing in the right direction that's the number one thing then two it's fully healed and how much more can we predict he has to go for it to be healed he's already on the court working individually putting himself in a position to escalate that ramp up whenever the scan gives us the appropriate info so 
I guess there's some peace of mind knowing that you know his conditioning and you know his on-court work isn't being affected. Um, hopefully, just the the next scan we get, fingers and toes crossed, it's a good one. Yeah, and obviously, I would assume that it's somewhat positive in the sense that, like you said, Jack, he's still doing some training. I think it's just not five on five. It's just like not that. Full in, court. Yeah, yeah, not full court. So that's good. You know what I mean? If that were to be like, oh, now he's not doing anything, then we'd be concerned. But you mentioned Blake Griffin. Obviously, they're trying to get him ramped up because. He's been sitting out so long with Detroit because they were looking for a solution to the contract situation, obviously ended up signing with the Nets. When do you think we'll see him, Jack? Look, I, it seemed to me it was cool to see him um, on that video on the Brooklyn Nets Twitter page. You know, yep. It's still a, a bit surreal having you know a guy that we've always loved just as a, as a player in general on the Brooklyn Nets. But it seems to me he said he's not injured. He's not injured at all. It's clearly conditioning. It's clearly the reps that he needs to get in. Um, and we can blame Detroit for, for a little bit of that. But also at the same time, it probably allowed us to get the buyout and get him uh, there on the cheap. So, look, there's also TLC out. And, look, I, I think just adding to the rotation, just adding healthy bodies is only going to make this team better. Uh, and, look, I think he could be back soon. Blake Griffin, when will we see him, Nick? Good question. Maybe the road trip. Uh, if not, maybe after the road trip. I think that... I'm really eager to, to sort of see him just because, uh, again, as I alluded to, it's just always been a, a bit of a fave of mine and want to see him in the in the short role. We, we've sort of heard his role described, everything that we sort of thought it would be. Steve Nash was clearly talking about in that coffee catch-up um, with, with BG. So, I, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think that he'll be back sooner rather than later? Do you think it's... Well, what's your timeline if you're Steve Nash and you're the physician? I feel like you probably want at least a week of conditioning. You know what I mean? You're not going to magically be ready, I think, for Saturday night's game against Detroit. I could be wrong because maybe that's about a week, but it seems more likely we see him against the Knicks or even Wednesday against the Pacers. Well, that'd be a good one. And hopefully Carol Savert's back then. He won't be, obviously, but it's good to sort of see. Where we uh, got actually, the there, I think there was like some small rumblings that Carol Savert could be back very, very soon. And some people looked at that being, you know, a possible return date. Yeah, I don't know if your heart's going to be able to handle if his first game <laughs> happens. It's like, you know, how Jared Allen's first. It would be pretty goddamn poetic in a lot of ways because um, we love Carol Savert. And it's just so damn awesome to hear that news about him. We're always going to uh, bring up news relating to him and Jared Allen on this pod because uh, the Brooklyn Buzz uh, loves those two more than many, many, many players in this league. So a uh, shout out to them. It was also cool to sort of see Blake chat and sort of mentioned that KD was like the biggest recruit. I'm like, yep. you used to play with DeAndre Jordan, but then DeAndre Jordan's like, yeah, he like kicked our ass the last time we played. I'm not talking to him. And I just thought that was pretty funny too. Yeah, no, it was interesting. KD was the biggest recruiter, and obviously KD watches a lot of basketball, so there was probably an aspect of his game that he thought could really benefit the Nets, even to an extent if you know Blake Griffin's in the starting lineup over Bruce Brown or DeAndre Jordan tonight, he provides something a little bit different. You know what I mean? Then what DJ, uh, DJ and Bruce Brown provide offensively because he does have that three-point shot. Not to say that he should be starting or anything, but just another possible front-court option for Steve Nash. Definitely. You know, it's something that, and look, this is basically what Steve Nash said. So we'll expect, Blake is a small ball five who can make open threes. He's really good in the half-roll playmaking, playing four on three, three on two, two on one situations. He's an intelligent player, has great experience and IQ. So, look, it's something that we're, we no doubt will we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. But I think that it's going to be exciting, Nick, because there's just so many elements of this team that we love and adding another one to it. So sort of, there's little to no pressure. Again, uh, check yep. out the pod. Nick and I really dive deep into this on the mailbag episode when we um, first heard about the signing. So I just can't wait to see him out there, Nick. Yeah, and then we can really dive deep on what he actually looks like from a health perspective and just like a mobility perspective and what he provides for this team. I think it's intriguing just because we really have no idea and what his motivation level was and what the pieces like around him were in Detroit in terms of his level of success. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some type of turnaround. Like you said, we mentioned on that show and we'll be sure to talk about Blake a lot moving forward because there is a chance that he could have a nice impact on this team or a chance it might not be much of anything. Who knows? We'll have to see it all, how it all pans out. Yep, 100%. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And check us out on all streaming platforms. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.